Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 347. And tonight, we are still on schedule. We are recapping two episodes of Lore Olympus. We are starting with episode 229, which is available for free right now on the Webtoons app. And then we're going into episode 230, which is only available if you are fast-passing the episodes, which we definitely are. And I have to tell you, this week, I am so angry, and I have not been so close to just fast-passing another episode in a really long time. Yeah, you know how we've been kind of trying to give Demeter the benefit of the doubt in the fact that she's protective of her daughter, who she does actually love very much and knows that she's in a dangerous situation being a fertility goddess? Well, all that's out the window this time. Oh my god. Okay, giant spoiler warnings. I mean, I really want to talk about episode 230 first, but let's start with 229. So when we had last seen Persephone, she had put her hand on the painting of Metis on the wall and her eyes glowed and she and Hades, who's in moth form, suddenly appeared on the grass and the giant form of Metis is right there and we pick up seconds after that happened. And I have to say, Metis is a really delightful goddess. I mean, she's she's beautiful. I love like her kind of coquettish look every once in a while that Rachel gives her when she draws her. But she also seems to be like very down to earth, not really upset about things and she just, she explains to Persephone what the whole fertility goddess thing means. And it basically started with the first goddess, Gaia, who fell in love with Oranus and decided to give him as much power as he needed. But unfortunately, as Medis explains it, Oranus didn't take as much as he needed. He took as much as he wanted. And that. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to Gaia. Did she just go into hibernation like Rhea did? I kind of think so. I feel like they've, they've told us that, but I don't remember. But yeah, it might be that Gaia, or Gaia, however you're saying it, is, you know, the goddess is in her form of the earth and we don't talk to her anymore. I'm not sure. But long story short, it means that All of the descendants of Gaia, or Gaia, are fertility goddesses who are sort of stuck in the arrangement with all the descendants of Oranos, so that Oranos can always take their power from them, but there is a wrinkle to that. It has to be given by the goddess because of being in love with the god, and that is very important because Persephone is kind of worried because she said there was somebody that we were intimate and not in a good way, and he seemed to think that I didn't have to love him in order to be with him. And Medes says, no, it has to be done through love. The idea that it's something that could be taken through sex is something that the gods actually created this idea because that was how they understood what was happening. And there is another interesting little wrinkle. The reason why Zeus swallowed Medes was because she had kind of been in love with him. Yep, yep, yep. Because, I mean, here's that thing. Like, the god can't take the power from the goddess unless it is consensual and unless she loves him and everything. And they're like, well, what about the thing with Zeus? And you see many, she's like, well, you know, about that. And Hades is like, what? Not you as well. Okay. And yeah, apparently she had a thing with Zeus at one point and she kept it quiet because Hera and Demeter also liked Zeus. And Persephone's in the background for the rest of the explanation going, uh, wait, does that mean, is Zeus my dad? Hello, can someone answer my question, please? I mean, she is seriously <laughs> freaked out, and Medes tells her, no, you are a product of Demeter. I can see her drive for perfection in you. Yep, yep. Now, of course, Medes is in her giant form and picks up Persephone and takes a giant big old sniff of her hair and says, you know, you kind of 
smell like a fertility goddess, but there's something different. And Persephone thinks maybe it's because she was granted the gift of wrath. And um, that's not it, though Medis does say that that's really important because if she hadn't been given that, she knows that she would have still been under Demeter's thumb if she hadn't had that gift of wrath. Yeah, the, how she described it, you'd still be on Earth with Demeter planting flowers in straight rows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then she says you smell a little bit like Erebus. And she said, did you make a deal with Erebus? And Persephone is like, I don't remember. And Medes is like, well, you should go find him and figure that out. Yeah. And before Persephone can ask too many more questions, Medes starts to glow. And that is a sign that their time together is done because Medes... Okay, she explained earlier that she didn't want to be like, you know, inside Zeus for all eternity, so she turned herself into a star, and she can't really reach out to talk to her descendants that often because it takes so much power. So the conversation ends, and we flash back to Persephone standing with her hand on the wall with yeah, uh, yeah. the moth form of Hades, and Ares is gone. <laughs> I just love that. There's a note on the wall. You know, she looks around. She's like, did he just leave me here? And the note says, you know, you seem to be really into the painting on the wall. And I had to use the bathroom. So I left. I can't promise I'm going to come back because the world's a really distracting place. I'm like, God bless him. He's so freaking honest. He is so honest. And Persephone just glares down at the note and then crumples it up and tosses away and said, well, I'm just going to call this the date. And we're completely even now. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. But they get outside and it's night. And they've been down there for hours and hours, and Persephone had forgotten that she was supposed to meet her mother today. And Hades offers to come with her because she knows she's kind of freaked out about this. And we go back down to the mortal realm, and Demeter is being notified by one of the nymphs that her daughter is approaching. And Demeter says, okay, everybody get in your places. And that's where the episode ends. And we know she's setting up something. She's going to make things difficult. But I didn't realize just how... I mean, okay. So there's been a lot of discussion lately about how the term gaslighting is being misused. A lot of people just turn it into somebody's being abusive, somebody's being controlling. And gaslighting is when the abusive person is trying to convince the other person that they don't know their own mind or that they don't remember things the way they think they're remembering. Or if they have a problem with somebody's behavior, it's because they are controlling. It's it's just basically... it's flipping the narrative to frame everything how the abuser wants. And I yeah. think this is a good example of what that happens. And apparently a lot of the commenters said, yeah, I, my mother treated me like this. And it is absolutely gaslighting to have this um, happen. Because there's also that element in, you know, with the whole, you don't know your own mind, you don't remember things correctly, just like the play from which it came. There's also an element of trying to convince the people around you that you're not in your right mind. You know, yes. it's like, oh, you know, you probably need some help because clearly you're just um, unhinged or whatever, you know. So, and, and that's exactly what Demeter does. So, okay, so Persephone and Hades still in moth form, and Hades does offer to turn into a man, but she's like, nah, things are kind of delicate right now. And I'm like, boy, howdy. She says, I know how to handle my mother in theory. And I was just like, oh, God, Persephone, no, you don't. No, do no. not. She does not really anticipate how this is going to go. No, no. So, shows up and of course i mean that right out the gate 
you see Demeter come and give her a hug. She's like, oh, this dress, because she's, you know, Persephone's wearing this gorgeous, dark dress. It's all low-cut and sexy and everything. Her mother's like, oh, this dress, we always, you know, made your dresses in, like, white or pale pink or whatever. Why don't you go into your bedroom and pick out something more appropriate? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, just starting out with that. And Persephone says, oh, maybe later. And Persephone had come down to the mortal realm to start planning for the spring season and Mm -hmm. for, you know, getting the details right. And she thinks that they should just, like, make a cup of tea and sit down and discuss this and also, you know, maybe a little bit less pageantry because that would save a lot of time. And then all of a sudden, boom, the lights come on and it's all the nymphs are there and they're cheering surprise and there's a big banner. We love you, Cor. Don't ruin your life. And that literally says that on the banner. awful and her mother at least admits it right from the get-go says i've arranged an intervention and i'm like oh no and it's all the people from Tagoam, the uh the eternal goddesses uh, the of, goddess of eternal it? maidenhood thank you i could never remember that acronym um she's arranged all those people there to talk to her and tell her how they think that she is making some very very poor decisions and she thinks that she needs to apologize to hestia first thing and Hestia's like um that's not necessary. Yeah. Hestia's looking a little freaked out about all this. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Demeter is sitting her daughter down and telling her that, you know, I thought when I first came back that she had done a great job in my absence, but really the more I looked, the more I saw all these problems. And she's saying, you know, there was this famine, there was a fire in the library, you know, all these things that apparently had not made a whole lot of difference in the 10 years, but she's just focusing in on it to say, yeah. you know, you did all of this wrong. Do you really think you could run an entire underworld and i mean persephone is just kind of oh she's looking even more angry but also upset because this is embarrassing because demeter's like gotten one of the nymphs to read aloud a letter that she had written about how happy she was that persephone was joining the goddess of eternal maidenhood and how sad she was when she found out that she wasn't going to be joining because she had looked up to her and it's just it's so manipulative i would not be at all surprised if demeter wrote the letter for the nymph to read aloud. But Hestia calls her over at one point and says, I, you, this isn't right. You told me you were just going to sit down and give her options. You weren't going to publicly shame her. Mm-hmm. And of course, Demeter, after kind of like poo-pooing her concerns and everything, finally ends up with Hestia. You know, you don't have any children of your own. Maybe if you did, you would see that my actions are entirely appropriate. I mean, and Hestia is just shocked. She's just stunned. Now, in case you're wondering what the hell is Hades doing during all of this, I mean, and I kind of called this too, Persephone hadn't had her feet on the ground for too long before behind her back, Demeter scoops Hades in moth form into this bell jar and basically says, do you really think I wouldn't recognize you? You're in my realm now. And if you think I'm going to let you ruin my daughter's life, you got another thing coming. And she puts it down on the table. And so he's stuck in a glass for now. For now, yes. Although you see the more Demeter is saying awful things to Persephone and the more Persephone is looking more and more angry. I think Hestia even notices this moth in the bell jar and it's getting darker and there are like cracks forming in the glass and all the commenters are like, oh, he's going to come up. Oh, man. I mean, it's just, and, and in case you haven't read, I mean, you really should go read the episode, by the way. But if you haven't read the episode, everything we're saying about what Demeter's kind of telling Persephone, we're only touching on the surface. It's freaking awful. And it's so manipulative and just like the biggest guilt trip you can possibly imagine. I mean, even 
to get Persephone to stay because Persephone's like, I don't want to do this. Let's talk in private. And she's like, oh, but so many people came here to see you and some of them traveled for a really long way and you were late when you got here. I'm like, oh God, it's awful. So terrible. And it all comes down to the core idea that Demeter doesn't think Persephone is really in love with Hades. She only thinks she's in love with Hades and, and she thinks Hades has brainwashed her and it's yeah yeah and and I I just I mean even Hestia the fact that Hestia was the person that I was maddest at for the longest time because of her taking the robe the coat that uh Hades had given Persephone just just taking it because she didn't approve of the fact that Persephone had been photographed wearing it and I thought that was such a dick move and now I'm kind of on um Hestia's side here because Hestia can tell that something's not right so of course, the episode ends, you know, just, oh, Persephone's crying. I mean, there's a lot of times when she looks like sullen and mad, but a lot of times she just looks overwrought and just just beaten. She just looks beaten. And Demeter's got the robe that they had made her, the dress that they had made her for her coronation into to go home. And she had also, like, taken a snipe at Persephone because she's like, I heard that you were arranging this lavish coronation ceremony for the underworld, which is a terrible thing to spend all that money when so many people need help. And I'm like, oh, God. All right, so first of all, who talked to Demeter about Hera's plans? Um, The episode ends with sort of an image of this dress, and you sort of see just the words from Demeter, put the dress on. And I'm like, oh, God. Has she unspelled the dress is what I'm worried. I worried about that. But I was also just like, it's just such a symbol. You know, she puts the dress on. She's just so much under her mother's thumb again. But here's the thing. Hera is the goddess of marriage and mm-hmm. you know, betrothals and everything. Hera's not going to put up with this, is she? I. Some of the commenters were wondering if the dress was inspelled in a different way to be able to tell that she's technically no longer a maiden after Apollo attacked her. And that's going to have to come out. And that's one of my theories about what might happen in the next episode is that Persephone has to tell her mother, I'm not a maiden. And then Demeter will probably automatically accuse, you know, Hades of being the one to take. But I really think Persephone needs to have it out with Demeter about how she hid the fact that she was a fertility goddess because yes. that's what Apollo was going for. And yes. Persephone had no defense against him with the fact that he was just zeroing in on the idea, if I have sex with her, then I get to have her power. And she yep. probably could have you know, used a heads up if she was that powerful and if her power could be used that way. But I also think... You know, a lot of people said, oh, I want Hades to come out and rescue her. And people are like, no, I don't want him to rescue her. I want her to rescue herself. And yeah, I yeah. think she's, that's that's what I'm really hoping will happen, is that the next episode will open up and Persephone just has to tell Demeter, you need to stop this. I yeah. am the queen of the underworld now. And I will not be joining the goddess of eternal maidenhood, even if I wanted to. And just, I want her to lay down the law. It would be so satisfying if that's what happens. It would be, because what I'm afraid about is that when it comes out that she's not a maiden anymore, you know, of course, Demeter's going to lose her shit. And yes, she's probably going to blame Hades. But even if she finds out that it was Apollo, she's going to put that blame on Persephone and on 
Artemis because it happened because Persephone was going to school, not in the mortal realm. You know, she wanted to go to school. She didn't want to stay in the mortal realm. She stayed in Artemis's place and Demeter the whole time thought that was unsafe. And as it turned out, it was. And that's the worst kind of thing because it's hard to argue with any of that because that is why it happened. However, the alternative was she was going to live under her mother's thumb forever. Not that being raped is a good alternative. I don't know. It's such a messy situation. I think we're inching closer to finally getting that scene with Artemis finally addressing what happened under her roof and who she holds responsible for that. Oh, man. What I'm worried, of course, is that... <laughs> so I did say that, you know, at the end of reading this episode, episode 230... I was so close to just fast-passing it, and I didn't, only because I know that means I'm just going to have to wait even longer. But also, there is such a good chance that next week we won't pick up where we left off. We're I go know. Into a story. We, we I get know. another digression. Uh, but I, I know. Persephone is front and center on the little preview pages for the fast-pass episodes we haven't okay. gotten yet, so I don't okay. think we're going to... I don't think we're going to go into a flashback. I think that would be the only way to really derail it and still have Persephone, you know, as a promo picture. So right. maybe, oh I don't know. I don't know. The art was gorgeous in both episodes. Oh, yeah. Course. Beautiful. I mean, that's that's a given for all of these. Striking image of Demeter holding up the bell jar with Hades and moth form inside. Just the details were so crisp and it just looked so beautiful. I was really stunned by that. It's just such a shame because Demeter was the focus of one of my favorite pictures in all of Lore Olympus and that was the flashback when she was confronting um, the sun god Helios. Yes. And she's she's floating in midair in front of him and he's like, you know, his face is about as big as her entire body and they're both glaring at each other and the heat is kind of like burning away part of her robe and it was just beautifully designed, beautifully executed. The colors were perfect. So, and I really like that, but I've lost a lot of respect for Demeter after this episode. Yeah. Yeah, It's been, I mean, yeah, pretty much after, you know, we saw the scene where, you know, right before the nymphs that were Persephone's um, sisters got, you know, completely trashed it, which was like still to this day, probably one of the most shocking images in this entire series, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, the two mm -hmm. of them. But, of course, the fight that she got into Demeter right before then, that's when I was just like, oh, Demeter's horrible. But she's just gotten worse since then. Oh, so I guess that's it for Laura Olympus. So you had said you wanted to mention that you watched another episode of The Umbrella Academy. I did, yeah. And there's not not quite as much to go over on this one. The All the characters are getting closer to bumping into each other now. Um, Luther, in fact, saw Vanya and then went back to find her. And I thought for sure he was going to try to shoot her. But I don't know when he decided this, but what he really wanted to do was apologize to her. And even though she doesn't remember, and he says even if this is actually her pretending to not remember, he doesn't think she needs to apologize for anything. Because that was the first thing she did. She was like, oh my God, I don't remember anything. If I hurt you, I am so sorry. And he just, stop. And tells her, you shouldn't be the one apologizing. And he just, I mean, he said... I wasn't there for you. I didn't, you, I should have been in your corner the entire time. And so she still doesn't remember anything. And the episode ends with her driving off in her new friend's uh, car to somewhere. I'm not sure where, 
but um, and Diego and his, you know, the crazy girlfriend that he escaped with, they've met up with five and they're still finding out what the hell is going on. They somebody. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hazel gave um, five a uh, video or film strip, whatever, that had been yeah. recorded by a couple of tourists at the grassy knoll at the uh, um, mm-hmm. the assassination. And who they see in the background on the grassy knoll is their father. So now they have to try to track him down and it ends with Diego getting into a killer kick-ass fight with who I'm fairly sure is their dad. But it's all like in a warehouse with just light coming in through the slats of wood and so everything's backlit and really impressive. And then he gets stabbed and left to bleed to death on the ground. Yeah, there's... A lot of moving pieces in this season. Lots, lots of moving pieces. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. And Allison's husband has been arrested for assault, which is obviously a trumped up thing. You know, they, they they arrested him. It was very obvious that the plan had been him closing the door and the jackass putting his foot in the way. That was going to be the assault. But Allison, of course, like picked him up and threw him out of the house. But they yeah. didn't arrest her. So it was always, you know, to get her husband, I think. But yeah. And uh, in the same holding cell is Klaus. So, and he actually gets let out because the governor called to let him out. And it turns out he's this big cult leader with a lot of influence. And he breaks into this house and he, like, you know, everything's covered with drop cloths. And he grabs one of them and throws himself down on the couch with a sheet over his head. And meanwhile, um, Ben, I think is it, the ghost? Yeah. Yep, you're just yep. like, what? You don't want to look at things? Klaus, no, shut up. And you see on the wall is a gigantic painting of Klaus in his whole holy cult leader form. So, yeah, yep. lots of moving pieces in this one. Oh, yeah. Klaus has been busy. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> Can't wait until you miss other things that are going to happen. I'm like, oh, man, wait till you find out that. Oh, boy. So I watched three episodes of season one of Hunters, mm-hmm. which is the series with Al Pacino. Al Pacino? Yeah, Al Pacino. I was, is it bad that I a lot of times get Al Pacino and Robert De Niro mixed up? Why do I do that? I don't know. I don't know. Were they both like, like crime bosses at some point? Probably. They were both in the movie Heat, weren't they? They were both in Heat. Sure. Yeah, we're, I think right. they were the, the um, two people left standing at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And they were also both in Godfather 2, but they never shared a scene together. Right, so anyway. yes. Yeah. Right, right. So this is Al Pacino. You know what? I'm going to look it up because I'm going to feel really stupid if I get that wrong. <laughs> we might have to delete this entire conversation. Yes, Al Pacino. All Cat right. Yay. Driving crazy. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so my friend Wade was the one who had said that we needed to watch the first episode. If we didn't like it, we didn't have to watch anything else. I did watch the first episode. Now, I proceeded to watch two more episodes. Mm-hmm. It is definitely enjoyable. The production values are super high. The acting is great. The writing is great. The whole plot, all of it very well done. The thing is, it's not a show that I would have normally chosen to watch. Mm-hmm. Do you know Anything about the premise behind it? Not a bit. Okay. So it's 1970s, and the idea is Nazis are alive and well in America, you know, many years following World War II and having massacred millions of Jewish people. And this is a small group of people who have come together to track down Nazis who are living under our noses and, you know, have their own secret cabal and everything. And they're tracking them down one by one and killing them. They're definitely killing them. You know, they're putting them through a little bit of a trial, whatever. I mean, these are legitimately horrible people. A lot of the times they show the things that these Nazis did in the camps and everything. Completely understandable. That's the premise of the show. 
there isn't a supernatural element going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Other than the alternate history sort of supernatural element. And I'm not even sure it's an alternate history. It definitely, it's almost like this could be happening, you know, if you imagine going into the 70s. And I mean, because there are definitely Nazis that escaped any kind of trials and everything and probably did live out the rest of their lives in secret. So I think this is kind of like, uh, sort of like going into the underbelly and figuring it out. Um, it is interesting. I don't know what it is about it, though, that having watched three episodes, I feel like I'm committed. I'm going to watch the rest of it, sure, definitely. But there's nothing about it that I'm just like, oh, man, you've got to watch this show. I mean, it's good. It's definitely good. I will give you that. But I haven't had a moment like I would have in some other shows where I'm just like, no, seriously, you've got to watch this. Oh, my God. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and it does feel like there's so many shows out there that I do just got to watch that it's hard yeah. to sign up for one that's merely good. I mean, yeah, with, with as yeah. much trash on there, we should be celebrating the merely good ones. But it's like, oh, not enough hours in the day, especially since most of the time I just want to sit down and rewatch Beastars for the nth time. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. So like I said, I'm going to finish watching it. Um, I think one of the reasons why Wade had really wanted me to watch it was because he's into the second season, and apparently the second season goes like crazy off the hook. So, I don't know. I mean, but I'm I'm at a point, it's not like back in the network TV days where it took shows a few episodes or maybe even part of a season to catch their footing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I haven't been really scooped into a show like three or four episodes in, I mean, it's hard to recommend. Like, no, seriously, just watch the whole first season and then you'll really like the second season. I'm like, whew, that's an awful big commitment you're asking. It sure is. And I'm hearing it more and more often. And I'm hearing people point that out more and more often that, you know, you're asked to invest in like, oh, the first five seasons are kind of slow, but then it really picks up. Like, oh God, no, I just, I don't know if I can do that, you know? Is it an ongoing show as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think they just started. I guess they maybe just released the second season. I okay, suppose. yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. You don't have to pay for it if you have a Prime membership. It's totally free. So. It's it's even tougher when it's an ongoing series because I kicked myself for ages for not watching the series Lost while it was going mm-hmm. on because everybody was talking about it, and then the ending ticked people off so much that I was glad I hadn't started. And I kind of feel the same way about Game of Thrones. Same. I mean, it yeah. sounds like it was a really amazing show and there were a lot of diehard fans but boy that last season just like undid all that goodwill that they had built up just because they had to close it down so fast yeah we've talked about this before shows that we loved that ended up screwing the pooch at the end we won't go into it again but yeah i'm i'm i don't know i i will definitely continue to watch it like i have no complaints about this show whatsoever i mean hunters does seem to be solid everybody's doing a great job there are bits that'll surprise you there's out and out violence but it doesn't seem to linger on too much gore so you know it's all that's good and everything um three episodes in and i haven't had that moment when i'm like you know the mic drop where i'm like oh my god everything changed if it has that moment i will usually recommend people i'm like i know i know just you know watch the first season but um yeah (laughs) more to come on that well, I um, saw something that had been recommended on Red Letter Media. One of the guys was talking about it. A movie from, I think it's in 2016, called The Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Elle Fanning, I think she's in um, the TV show The Great about Catherine the Great. So I see like yes. her promo stuff. She appears in the promo for that all the time. So yeah, I, I, less than two hours long. So I queued that up. What the hell did I just watch? Oh boy, oh, really? So just, I mean, it's beautiful. I it's just really, you know, all the lovely colors and techno music and beautiful, beautiful people and strange modeling outfits and all that stuff. But I mean, my God, what did I watch? I mean, you get to the end of it and you're just wondering, but what was the point of all of that? And why was, (laughs) why was Keanu Reeves in there as a bad guy, but not even an important bad guy? It was just so strange and not strange. And oh, I've got to watch that again. I was just like, oh, come on guys. I mean, again, a good movie that I just, I, I, finish the end of it i'm like that was so unsatisfying (laughs) oh no that's the worst especially when somebody when it comes recommended from someone and you watch it and you're like what what no and and, and i think it was probably because that is this jay from red letter media i'm pretty sure he was the one that recommended it and he also recommended the movie black coat's daughter um that is it's another one of those cases where you get to the end of it and you're like okay so why did we go through all of that but it's all Mm -hmm. he there's he's definitely got a type of weird movie that he likes and i appreciate that because i do like the really weird movies as well but it's just this one did not work for me as much as i was hoping it would Uh, it's a shame but i guess it's good to know that and also it's almost like you can triangulate in on what his tastes are at this point Mm -hmm. you can be like ah this is one of those one of those movies so, but and on another tangent, I'm still trying to work my way through that uh, collection of Alan Moore short stories, Illuminations, oh, yes. and yeah, the yeah. one in the middle is called "What Can We Know About Thunderman?" And this this could have been a standalone novel. It's like 250 pages long, so kind of Whoa. shocking. And I finished that yesterday. What the hell did I just read? <laughs> I mean, you're braver than me. I mean, there's some Alan Moore stuff where I'm just, I mean, it's its not like it's Grant Morrison. Now, I, I won't read Grant Morrison. I mean, it's like way too many words. Oh, my God. But, um, <laughs> but Alan Moore, too, every once in a while. Like, I remember, I need to take another look at From Hell at some point because... I mean, the movie, I don't think, was a perfect translation The movie was a terrible translation of it. I mean, as soon as I saw that Johnny Depp was cast in it, and he was playing a character that was a combination of two characters that have nothing to do with each other, then I I did not even bother with that. But I like From Hell. I've got that um, in my collection. I need to read it again. I mean, it might be like, you know, Watchmen. The first time I read The Watchmen in, like, early on in college, I think I didn't really get it. Second time I read it, I was like, ooh, I picked up a few more. It's like... Like every time I read it, I literally get more out of that. And I'm not saying it's like for everyone, but I, me personally, I enjoy it more the more I read it. Maybe from hell is like that as well. I don't. I, it's so weird how you and I had different experiences with that because I read Watchmen, reading Nathan's individual issues that he had gotten when they came out. I'm amazed oh, wow. that he trusted us to read those because uh, that's kind of a prize there. But mm-hmm. at at that series blew my mind when I first read it. I was in a daze after reading it and just impressed me right down to the ground. I enjoyed it, but I, I felt like I, I got done with it. I'm like, Ooh, that was, that was a thing. Wow. You know? And then the next time, like the mirror issue, which I yes, just the one in the oh. center. Oh yes. Oh man. That's great. And of course, you know, certainly like when the giant, spoilers when a, when a great big thing kills a lot of people um just the ending that so many people went through that you're like oh wow they 
those people are they're gone. Oh, yeah, that we've been more. that oh, we've been following through the entire series as little tertiary characters with their own stories, and they're all dead, and they're all dead, completely dead. So yeah, I definitely did get that, but. I felt like, I, I don't know, I didn't grasp it the first time, but Alan Moore is pretty deep. Yep. Well, he is very, very wordy, and um, and I think this, um, what can we know about Thunderman? it's all about the comic industry and the people in the comic industry, and it's all, like, renamed stuff, so Thunderman is obviously Superman, I guess, so he doesn't have right. to worry about libel, but some of it does remind me a lot of what the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen series turned into, which is Aww. just him... Because, of course, in the series, he would have all these characters from Victorian literature show up and have their own little roles to play in this world where all fiction was apparently real. And he would pile more and more and more references and obscure stuff, and you would possibly have to sit down with someone having written a treatise on what everything was in each storyline. And I just got exhausted. I never finished the final series that he wrote for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because I just got tired, and that's what that story reminds me of it is just it is dense it is weird it has stuff coming at you from nowhere and there's a fact that some of these bizarre stories might possibly be true so yeah it's i'm gonna have a review maybe next week if i can figure out what the hell to say about this book (laughs) at this point it's like how do i write a review of it i'm not even really sure i understood what i just read i'm just not sure what i think about all of this god I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries, or fan art galleries. Speaking of movie reviews, of course, they announced the Oscar nominations yes. last week. So we have a list of all the nominees, and the list has links to all the reviews that are already up on the site. I'm going to tell you right now, 90% of them are by Hugh, of course. <laughs> Thank God for you. But we are going to continue to add reviews between now and, I believe it's March 12th, I want to say, is the ceremony. And, so. you know, if you if you want to sign up to watch any of these that I've already seen before, everything, everywhere, all at once is... I need to see it's that. It's worth I a definitely. look, but you got to be prepared for how exhaustingly strange this movie is. I mean, weaponized butt plug and hot dog fingers. Those are just nice. two of the elements that come at you in this movie. I'm I'm willing to do that, but I've got to see Wakanda as well. Yes, me too. I kind of, I thought I needed to see um, Top Gun Maverick. I've heard a few people say they thought that the ending was screwed up on that one but I mean I just cultural zeitgeist alone I feel like I need to see that one yeah Um, yeah and well everyone was just kind of they were surprised at how good it was that that was my feeling from all the reviews they were like wow this is actually good yeah Uh, same thing with the Puss in Boots the last wish movie I mean I never saw the first Puss in Boots movie but I've heard from several people you don't have to this is a completely new story but the Tons of people have been saying that that movie is way better than it had any right to be. And it okay. is one of the nominations for animated movies, so I do love me the animated movies. Oh, so. I've, I've heard some people arguing that Avatar, the latest Avatar movie, should have been yeah. in the animation category. Because they said, yeah, it's CGI, it's motion capture, I don't care how photorealistic it is, it's animation. And the fact that the director did not want that to be referred to as animation means he has no respect for the genre. Yeah. I think once again we talked about it back when Avatar was nominated the first Avatar Hannah was the one who suggested that maybe they needed like a blockbuster category you know it's like Avatar is not best picture worthy I haven't seen the second Avatar movie I'm gonna go ahead and guess it's not best picture worthy but it is a thing and it's huge but it is also the reason why all the technical categories exists because it's like 
best visual effects on it. I'm oh, sure. I'm sure. Yeah, and I think they tried doing that best blockbuster, you know, uh, category, oh, yeah. and they chucked it. And I think the feeling was that. You know, if it's if it makes a lot of money, it shouldn't count as Oscar worthy, and yeah. also that all of the really good movies are, of course, never going to make a lot of money. I mean, you kind of right. need to bow away from that particular assumption. I think. Also, we don't need that ceremony to be any longer. No, than God, no, God. please. I can't. Jeez. I have not watched it since the whole debacle with the um, the mix up of the the best picture winner. I just at that point, I decided I I feel like I was traumatized by that because I cannot stand awkwardness and the idea of somebody messing up that badly and two whole groups of people. Like one, you've got a whole bunch of people that thought they won and didn't, and two, the people who did win now have that shadow over their win until the yeah. end of time so yeah. ugh, no, can't, can't watch it anymore but i'll yeah, definitely I, follow the um the the awards on twitter oh yeah i i one year after the debacle i did watch that mostly to try and take the sting out of the previous year fine ever since then yeah i just followed on twitter just to keep refreshing the feed i'm like oh check out who won oh check out who won yeah, that's, <laughs> that's way more my speed but anyway all that and more pixelatedgeek.com so next week we'll have the return of Night Vale. Yes, we will. We're right back on schedule. I will watch a few more episodes of Hunters. I'm sure you will probably catch another episode of Umbrella Academy. Maybe try to get more than one episode because it will probably be June before I catch up to all of season <laughs> three if I keep doing this one episode a week business. Seriously. But anyway, one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. And then we're going into episode 330, which is only available. Shit. And then we're going right into episode 230. Shit. Try it again. (laughs) Try it again. When we last left Persephone, she had put her hands on the painting of Thetis. Medis. Medis? Medis. She had... Try that again.
play with the siren again. Right down the street. Of course. Almost. Last week I started up a little too soon. You can totally still hear the siren in the background when I started talking. <laughs> <laughs> 